the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Well, greetings and welcome along to this special edition of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Now, we're bringing you the special edition this week because Microsoft have just launched to all customers the new version of Windows 10, um, what they are calling the Windows 10 Fall Creators Update. A little bit of an odd name, especially for us here in New Zealand. Uh, also carried the code name RS3 or Redstone 3. And now Microsoft are hard at work on the next version of Windows 10, RS4. Uh, but this was a episode that I recorded with Donna Saka uh, from the Windows Insider team. And many will know her because she keynoted at the last Microsoft Ignite conference in New Zealand, uh, which of course this year there hasn't been one. Um, so let's jump into that episode. A big thank you to Microsoft for uh, facilitating and arranging my trip to uh, to Florida uh, for Ignite 2017, um, and also to our sponsor, Process Street. Now, if you're interested in improving your business processes, whether that's anything from installing a new PC uh, to really any other aspect of your business, and you want the perfect online checklist with the support of video training material and, and really anything else that's going to help streamline and deliver consistent processes in Process Street is the way to go and you can get an exclusive discount uh, for it by going to nztechpodcast.com slash Process Street and signing up uh, for the free edition there and then you can ongoing discount should you wish to upgrade to one of the paid plans in the future. All right, without further ado, let's jump in to the podcast episode with Donna Saka from Microsoft. Tell us, what's your backstory before you were a techie and all that sort of before stuff? Before I was a techie? No, I've been a techie like, where forever, were you, though. Where were you born? What's your, what's uh, your story? Okay, so I'm born in Nepal, and I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. My parents went to Wayne State University like much later in life, so we lived on Wayne State campus. And for people who you know ask, oh, where are you from? They, I say, oh, Michigan, and I point to my hand where I'm from. And then they say, oh, where in Michigan? I said, Detroit. And they said, oh, where? And they don't expect me to be from Detroit, the city, because that's not very usual for people to be from Detroit, the city, and be in Seattle, Washington. So that's always an interesting tale. But it was amazing growing up in Detroit because um, I truly understood what it means to live in a place where everybody around you is diverse. Right. Detroit is such a melting pot. It's one of the true melting pots, I think, of the U.S. So I've grown up with people who are different than me all the time. So That's wonderful, a good wonderful place. To have. Yeah, it was a really good grounding to have. Um, my parents are both, you know, working for companies related to cars. So I'm a major car person. That's that's fairly normal for yeah. Detroit. I mean, it? It, you're just kind of going to be if you're in Detroit, not working in autos, like it's like living in Silicon Valley and not being in tech. It's yeah. just kind of random, yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, but I developed a love for tech when I realized it is the best way to create in the future because you're not going to be creating the way we have for like hundreds of years because tech apply tech to the problem. So I decided that it was something I wanted to study in college, so I did. Then joined um, a small CRM company called Siebel Systems, who got acquired by Oracle. And then I wouldn't I, call them small. Well, 
Compared to Oracle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I work for only giant companies. So to hey, me, I'm from New Zealand. Civil Systems that's is true. Not, okay. a, was okay. not a small that's company. That's true. But, you know, there's many people who have no idea what that is. So yeah. Yeah. people in tech know, but in general, people are like, mm. what is that? Mm. Um, so I worked at Civil Systems. It was fine. I was a software developer. My favorite thing, though, was they put me on a plane once and said, all right, our biggest customer is British American Tobacco. They're in Hungary, right? And we want you to go there and to understand this issue they're having with their mobile client. You remember Palm Pilots? I do. I was yeah. a huge fan. In fact, I took my Palm Pilot to Hungary. You so, did? Yeah, I took my Palm Pilot to Hungary. This I went there for the solar eclipse in 1999. You did? That is mm. crazy. That's funny. Okay, so there's my yeah. Palm Pilot linking it, up with your story. Palm Pilot and Hungry story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me more. So I end up at British American Tobacco, and what they do is they have salespeople with Palm Pilots who go out there and take orders from like mostly places who want to order like lots and lots of tobacco, right? So bars, restaurants, all mm. sorts of stuff. So the sales guy is like, hey, so I record my orders from these uh, barmen and save them, and then they don't get saved, to, they don't sync to the main central database. So it looks like I didn't do anything all day, right? So he said, your machine is broken. And I said, okay, so very hard to debug something like this on the phone, right? Or over like email at the time. So my boss said, you know what? They're a really important customer, our biggest. Go solve this problem, go find out what the deal is. And I said, I don't know why you're letting someone who's been here six months get on a plane and go do this, but okay, cool. I'll never say no. So I get on the plane, go see this guy, the salesperson, head of sales. And he said, okay, you come with me. And he said it in like a really nice Hungarian accent though. So we go and I think we're going to go to some offices or something. But instead we go to this bar and it's 8 a.m. by the way. And he meets the bar, the bartender. They like, you know, say hi very um, enthusiastically. And then the bartender pours us each a shot of whiskey. It's 8 a.m. I don't even drink whiskey at this point, right? And the and the bar doesn't the bar, bars don't usually look no. quite so nice in the in the light of day yeah. with all the lights turned exactly. on, right? So it would have but been a, this, a slightly unusual, kind of unusual working situation. day experience yeah. anyway. So we're we're there and so this guy slides over these two whiskeys and the sale head of sales looks at me, cheers and says, and now we drink. And I said, this might be the problem <laughs> with your data. <laughs> I didn't say it. I didn't say it. So I, I do the shot of whiskey. I'm like, ah, what just happened? And I'm like, what good whiskey you have, hungry? But okay. So he said, okay, bartender, how many, you know, whatever things, pallets of cigarettes do you want? So this guy pulls out the device, fills in his info, and he presses the save button. Okay. And then I realize exactly what's going on because the next to it is a commit button. Save is like save as draft, commit is like upload to server. So I'm thinking, I think I know what's gonna happen. So he said, okay, now you see how it breaks. So we go to the next place, another bar, like this guy. And guess what? We have to drink whiskey again. <laughs> so it's now 9 a.m. We're drinking a second shot of whiskey. This one I'm like, I actually will fall down and die. So sure enough, he opens a new record. He hits save. It overwrites the previous one because he'd never committed. And I said, you know what? This is not his fault. He's doing exactly what he thinks he should be doing. It's us as engineers who have not walked in the customer's shoes, who's building a product, thinking that we understand, that we are the expert, and trying to solve a problem for a human that we don't even understand. I had that realization six months into my tech career, and I've had it since. 
So it was like one of the most pivotal moments in my life when I realized I don't understand this customer. Until I literally walk in that person's shoes and drink his whiskey, I will not understand him or her. It's a that's a real key to success working yes. in the technology world, yes. isn't it? And Absolutely. I mean, the amount of times my team yeah, have to put up with me saying, put yourself in the customer's yes. shoes. Think about it from yes. their, their perspective. Probably drives them a little bit, a little bit crazy. You have to keep hearing it. Um, but when, when you can position yourself that way and think from that perspective, then you see things that you wouldn't otherwise see. Absolutely, because there's no way that we are going to understand other people's lives unless we actually put them put ourselves in their shoes, actually have empathy, right? We as, um, I feel that people who build product are often focused on trying to solve problems rather than trying to actually understand what the problem is, right? Someone will say, oh, this is a problem. We immediately try to solve that problem rather than trying to understand what are they trying to do and is that really the problem, right? Or is it just a symptom? So to me, that was key, and it affects me to this day, right? Because Windows Insider Program, like leading to your second question, this is it. We have three fundamental principles of the Windows Insider Program. It's that one, everybody in the world is an expert at something. And two, being an expert of something, they understand deeply what the problems are in that space, whatever that space may be. And they also understand solutions. They want to have a hand in creating the solution. They definitely don't want to be handed the solution on a plate and said, there's a solution, you like it, right? So I'll give you an example. Say um, we, we know someone who's a administrator of school districts, right, in Michigan, actually. And he understands what are the key issues that his school districts have. He can't have his students futzing with like upgrades in the middle of class or a test, right? Not really. Yeah, that doesn't that's work. That's a really a, bad a, thing. Especially yeah. a test. A test, I mean, right? Yeah. yeah. So he can't have us pushing flights and these students getting them. There's no way. That's insane, right? That's a non-starter. So for people that don't know, tell us about yes. flights. And okay, just, so just let me tell you about Windows Insiders. About I know, back, Windows back, back. Insider. Sorry, I've like immediately jumped into the solution <laughs> and not the actual what we do. So Windows Insiders are the biggest community of people on earth who are using tech to make a lasting impact in their world. So what that means is it's a giant community of experts who want to have a hand in creating the tech in their lives. They don't just want to be receive the end product. They want to be in pre-release from day one. So what we do is we make Windows. So say some developer checks in code on Monday. By Wednesday, we've got a build that's been internally tested for two days and flights to insiders through Windows Update arrives on their machines on Wednesday. So pretty much in real time. So it's, it's very, yeah. very quick. Very quick. So insiders actually get Windows releases, these weekly builds, before the rest of Microsoft. And I've gotten all kinds of snarky comments about that from <laughs> Microsoft people saying, I guess I need to be an insider to find out what you guys are up to. We said, yes, that is the point of the program. <laughs> so go join insiders. Um, but it's pretty amazing to realize, like, we used to ship Windows, what, you know, th every three years? Sometimes right? more. Yeah. Sometimes longer. Sometimes yeah. longer. Yeah. Um, and just last week, we flighted three versions of Windows in one week. That was madness. So, yeah, when we look back, I mean, the... There always used to be some form of beta program mm -hmm. or pre-release right. right. where when you would get hold of a version yeah. of an operating system mm -hmm. and, you know, in Microsoft's case, that would be Windows mm -hmm. um, early. And, and I mean, I think it's fair to say that Microsoft has probably, you know, probably when, when I look back to 
trying out pre-release software. Um, yeah, that takes me back to 1993, trying out Windows NT. Right. Um, so Microsoft has sort of been making things available to mm-hmm. some degree for quite a period of time. Yeah. But this is, is quite a different model, isn't it? Because there's there's such a close connection to when the code is produced and you've really built the pieces that um, allow you to receive feedback so you can do something about what people come across and see, right? Rather, right. rather than Here. rather than it just be here it is. Right. Um, there's there's a, a, it's a, a virtual bit of, cycle. Yeah. So, so run run us through how that works. So Microsoft at heart is a is a company that values democracy. It believes that everyone in the world should be able to have access to technology. We don't want to be the kind of companies that are like, no, we're for elite people only. That's really, really dumb, right, we think, because there are 7.4 billion people on Earth. By giving and creating technology only for, say, like 1 billion very powerful, entitled people, what about the other 6.4 who can actually benefit from it, right? They can really benefit and turn their lives around and up-level their lives, their careers, everything. So we've always been about that, right? A PC on every desk, a PC in every home. It's always every the word every shows up in all of our missions throughout history, right? So that it's no different than now where it's empowering every person organization on the planet to achieve more. So because of that, we've always been more about the open, about the beta. And it was a lot harder back in the day when you're emailing or mailing, physically mailing disks to people's house, right? And then it was like mailing USB keys to people's house. But now we can flight things through Windows Update in like 20 minutes. Yeah, I seem to remember something like a, st- a pile of maybe 30 floppy disks, disks. for yes. you know, Windows in- NT. We have many insiders who tell us, you know, I used to beta back when you guys mailed us disks once every six months. We said yes, because it's always been our culture. Our culture has not fundamentally changed. We just want to listen more. We've always been people who want to kind of have our customers have influence in our product from early, but we never knew how to do that rapidly or like rapid innovation. Now it's completely different because we don't just think about customer input towards the end at beta because usually it's too late to make big changes. Because if customers say, you know what, this will not work for left-handed people, like, oh, we're three years into product cycle, now what, right? But we've learned our lesson that we have to engage with our customers, our community, really, from day one. So whenever we envision an idea, we'll look at, like, at these conferences, we get hundreds of ideas. And we'll say, oh, we should create this as a product, and this is a feature, this sh- we should do this. But we're not going to just go off and do that. We're going to actually dig up customer data and say, okay, X manage x percentage of customers think that this is needed in their life so we're going to use customer data to envision then the next step of the hustle right we go convince execs to fund this through humans or money or whatever how hard is that that's very complex (laughs) (laughs) but it's fun that's the best part because you get to story tell why it matters and if you can't tell the story in a compelling way of why this will genuinely improve our customers lives you don't have a case then it's just a notion that you want to do, right? Then you're just being a nerd. So we've seen so many companies do this, right? We've done it too. We made a feature because we thought it would be cool and we thought people would use it, but we have exactly zero data to prove that that is true. So now that is not happening. No, because we have no time. We have enough customer feedback items that people actually want that we have to do those instead. 
So, that must be a never-ending list. Oh, it's endless, People but it's lovely. It but it's yeah. lovely because it means we're going to be in business for the rest of our lives for sure. And the more people suggest ideas and the more we do them, the more they realize like, hey, I have more ideas. My idea is kind of good. So let's keep doing it. So we do the continuous dev cycle from envisioning to hustling execs to getting funding to creating the thing to actually being able to flight. But customer has been at the heart of every single part step of this all along. So by the time we get to releasing, like we are going to release RS3 soon, our insiders are not even surprised at all by what's in RS3. It's on their machine. It's been on their machine for six months, right? So they have this magic crystal ball into what's coming because not only did they see it, they had a hand in influencing it. Now, yeah, that's. Uh, I guess that's that's the thing that people are probably still getting used to is mm-hmm. the fact there is an opportunity to. Now, should people be put off because there are, there are so many insiders now? Do they, you know, is their voice going to get heard? Because I guess it's, you know, for you, it's got to come down to numbers, mm-hmm. you know, as much as anything else. I mean, you know, when you see the numbers, then you look for a, a, a story, I, I guess, that, uh, that allows you to explain that. But you need, uh, you need that number, you know, you need those responses. So what's really interesting is no two insiders are the same at all. And what we look for is signal. So... It's just fascinating where we'll see some issue trend on Twitter, like, oh, this certain kind of Dell machine is having an issue. One insider will say so, and then two hours later, some other insider will say so. We're like, that's interesting. Is it the same issue? We don't know. So we need to troubleshoot a bit and find out. And usually when about three insiders report an issue, that's going to be a big issue. That seems to be like the kind of trajectory. So we pay really close attention. We live and die by our social and our feedback channels. So mission control, which is like our internal dashboard, we have these nerdy things. Um, it's constantly tracking like number of failed installs, number of reattempts, number of this, number of that. And our feedback hub, we're like instantly trending, trending, trending. So we live and die by this data, but we need the insiders to be as diverse in their usage patterns as possible. So we call it hardware type type hardware type times app usage type times um, like longitudinal. Do you use your machine for one hour a day or for like 12, right? These are different. And then, of course, like usage patterns. Are you more of a tinkerer where something's not working, you're going to try six times? Or do you try once, you give up, right? Or are you more of like needed to be guided learner? Mm. So it's the and of all of these things that really leads to who this insider is. So we're trying this year to do a lot better job of identifying like kind of these personas of these insiders and then reaching out to them and saying like, hey, you look like someone who helps a lot of people with technology. We would love for you to be play a role of an influencer and help us help your community, right? So I'll give you the example of um, we today an insider came to the booth and he said, Donna, I want to talk to you more about um, your accessibility features like um, the screen reader, narrator, all of those things. And I'm like, oh, cool, fascinating. I said, what do you do? And he said, well, my mom has, um, she's starting to go blind because she's got you know, this eye disease. And then my aunt has it too. And because I help them, I'm able to also help like schools for the blind, right? I'm also able to help a lot more elderly people. That person is an influencer in that community and with us. I define an influencer as someone who knows a lot about two areas. So he knows a lot about technology and he knows a lot about people who are losing their vision. 
he's an influencer in that area. For him to give us feedback matters a lot more than me telling you what we need from narrator or screen reader. I'm not the expert, right? Because he's an expert of um, this area of accessibility needs, he can actually help us and say, here's the problems, here's some ideas for solutions, and I would actually like to roll with other experts to help you guys create like the best possible solution for this. So it's our responsibility at this point to hook him up with other people who also are deeply passionate about accessibility so mm. that they can together talk and say, I've tried this, I've tried that, what about this? Have you tried teaching people this way? So there's no way to connect with that right now, mm. right? Except mm. for like some forum here, some random forum there, but there's no central place for people who are experts in technology to come together to talk about like, how do you co-create tech to help their communities? So that's something we're really looking at this year. That's good. Now, obviously, the your uh, the Windows Insider program is going to keep developing. Yes. Um, now, one bit of feedback from my part of the world, and I, yeah. I don't know whether this has come through, but there's a certain percentage of the population. It's you know. Um, Less than fifty percent, maybe. In fact, I haven't haven't thought about this. Um, that are in the southern hemisphere mm-hmm. now. This update RS three yes um, is being called the fall creators update. Yes. Now that season yes. is completely wrong for yes. half of the planet. That was not the Have original you had that name. Feedback we've. We've probably heard that from everyone in the world. They said, this name is dumb. We said, I know. But it was a panic moment of someone who went to some exec and there was a name for the the release. That was something else. And it was like a beautiful name, well-researched. But certain execs didn't love the name. So the person panicked. It wasn't even their... um, goal to really go and like get this name ratified they were filling in and they freaked out and said i don't know fall creators update and it got signed off that's like okay well done because the name of the release is the least interesting part of the release mm-hmm. right what's in the release is fascinating because i don't know if you know a lot about what's actually i don't know if you've been flighting it lately but it is i think the coolest release we've had in a while um I'm doing the set of demos in the next few weeks um, in October. And one of my favorite things to do right now that just blow people's minds is to do a sketch in Paint 3D. Yeah. And um, just like whip out the old pen and mm. rip off the top of my Surface Book, do a sketch, and then hit the View Mix Reality button and just put it in the corner. And people are like, what just happened? You I just said, put yeah. That in the corner yeah. of the room, Did you hold you, up your yeah. camera. Yeah, and held you up place the device it and the, I just placed it in their the, world. The and they said, did you just create that and place it here? Did you just make a hologram in front of me in five seconds? I said, yes, I did that and you can too. And they say, I want to do that right now. So immediately they want to do it. Yeah. So I think that is the coolest thing I have seen in technology in so long. And of course I'm nerding out because I worked on Hollow and I love mixed reality. But, you know, by the Ford demo the other day, it's not just, you know, p- for putting emojis in the corner. It's actually going to transform industries in a low waste 
um, higher safety sort of way, mm. right? The Ford mm. demo is very powerful to me because I come so from run a us, Ford So run family. us through that because you know, yeah. listeners won't be aware of what that That's was. That's true. So the Ford demo is all about how can we build cars and repair cars without actually picking up parts. And this is interesting because yeah. I've spent some time at, at um, some of Ford's yes. um, research and development centers. That's right. And so, and they showed me the gear that they were using prior to HoloLens technology. Right. And this stuff cost tens of thousands expensive. of dollars. Yes. Really just insane yes. for them to be able to have any sort of a um, immersive experience. That's right. And now that's becoming a whole lot easier, right? Yes. And And it's much more collaborative too, right? I just love the idea of this. So imagine that you are the engineer who's responsible for putting like the headlights on the new Mustang, right? And of course, Mustang is like, you know, cult, right? You put the wrong headlights on a Mustang, you will get hate mail for the rest of your life. We all know this. So you are the dude, Paul, who's in charge of this. And you need to show your upper management, because we all have upper management, hey, I have five options. You're going to go get a screwdriver (laughs) or like, (laughs) that's a lot of bleeding, right? Try about these headlights. No, I hate them. Then you have to unscrew them and then you have to put them back in. Or you have to say, okay, VP, go away and come back in an hour. Like these are horrible solutions, right? So you have to go in with the final one, hoping that it's right. And if it's not, you're going to do a bunch of manual labor and you'll probably be bleeding. Now with the power of HoloLens, you can say, dear VP, sit in that chair, put this thing on your head. Don't worry. It's not going to hurt you. And you can actually have them flip through the options, right? You can say, how about these headlights? Too bright. How about these headlights? Cool. How about those headlights? And you've now just not wasted, first of all, metal making four sets of headlights, but also a lot less time and a lot less of, you know, you chopping your hands open, unscrewing headlights. Mm. But just think about that cost savings, right? That pays off for a long time. You're wasting less you're saving time, and you're actually kind of thinking about how you can use this technology in many other ways. Yeah, and I think the the time saving is something that that you know, can't be understated because right. you know we we expect things to move much quicker yeah. these days. And you know, no customers do. I you know, I know for myself, right. you know, I see you know something from a car company, and you know, when you have these discussions, say, oh, it takes X number of years to you know to put a new feature into yes. a vehicle. Well. I mean, that sort of stuff just doesn't fly anymore. No. You need to get these things now. happening quick. Otherwise, there's, there's, there's another company that's going to be right. faster and more innovative and is you know, coming from a startup sort of mindset mm-hmm. um, who are going to, you know, disrupt. So, yes. you know, it's, it's really important to yeah. you know, find these better, faster ways of doing things. Absolutely. Like, I can absolutely imagine in a future, in the auto industry especially, where we will go to a kiosk somewhere and design our dream car and someone will 3D print it, right? That's not far. We already know things are being 3D printed rather than, mm. oh, let's churn out like hundreds of the same car and hope people come and buy them, right? That, the waste on that is just insane. So I actually think using tech is going to reduce a lot of the waste and reduce some of this landfill problem we have, right? Mm. Like mm. most of the earth is landfill. Isn't that alarming? That's really alarms me a lot. Even an industry that I'm in, in fashion, is the second greatest purveyor of uh, waste on earth, second behind oil. Like mm. Landfills are full of fast fashion and fabric samples and stuff like that. It's a shame. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a growing challenge because we love mm-hmm. to consume all the love newest, latest yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. 
So yeah, if we can work some ways to sort that, yes. that would that would uh, be kind of good. Exactly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, looking at Microsoft three six five. Yeah. Now, this, I th- you know, I think, I mean, a lot of people may not have. Um, yeah, really know what it is. That's right. Yeah, we've had Microsoft Office 365, mm-hmm. Microsoft Windows um, 10. Mm-hmm. 10. Um, but this um, I, idea of Microsoft 365, mm-hmm. just talk us through what what okay. does that entail? Yeah. And is this just some marketing thing or is there is there some more depth to it? No, there's not, it's definitely not marketing. It's trying to help people not worry about the tech and focus more on what they're trying to do. So think about a first-line worker, someone who is deskless, someone who works at a kiosk, someone who works at a Home Depot, someone who doesn't have a computer necessarily for themselves. It's just a thing they use to do a certain activity. Right? Like all of the people who look stuff up in stores for you, right? You right. say, hey, you know, I'm looking for the blah. They're like, look at this computer, and then you're done. So it's all these kiosks and things. Those are going to be very, very, very common. Just in the 3D printing scenario, you're not going to go log in with, you know, your credentials into a store to build a car. You're just going to do this, and then you're going to 3D print it. So what does it mean to keep those machines constantly up to date? Right. And forget about this idea that some poor IT worker has to now go hustle like five levels of management. Say, can we be in the cloud for Windows? Okay. Then also, can we be in the cloud for O365? Okay. Can we manage these tools through like USB key updates? Okay. No, this will never happen for like thousands of machines. Right. So imagine a situation like um, I'll go back to Nicholas in the school district. Uh, Nicholas Hay in the Monroe County School District in Michigan. So he is responsible for um, high schools and colleges and uh, community college. So what he did was with Microsoft 365, he can do something like get this all-in-one offering of Windows 10, Office 365, and the cloud management services. So he can actually um, do his deployments with very, very, very little labor right so he's no longer having to do like obliterate and reinstall right you know what that is and yesterday i said that in a setting in one of my sessions everyone fell over like oh my god obliterate.exe i said exactly right Mm -hmm. so no one wants to do that it is such a pain and a normal person on the street should never have to obliterate and reinstall their device because they want the latest security updates they should just come down. It should all just happen. Exactly. Yeah. It should just be magic happens here. right? Tech should blend seamlessly into the background so people can actually do what they're trying to do in the first place. That's the dream. That's the dream. And that is the heart and soul of Microsoft 365. Just putting the power, empowering the IT workers to con- have complete control over whatever their enterprise or business is. right? For Nicholas, it's a school district where he has the master and then he's able to create his internal flights to all of these machines that he manages through Intune. This is new. It's completely new and it's amazing because he is the Lord of his rings. How cool (laughs) is that? That's what I'm calling my session. How to be the Lord of your rings. Very cool. So they are running their own insider program. So he decides, okay, um, with my setup, all of these machines will get, you know, the slow ring or um, semi-annual targeted channel whatever the released version 
and they're going to all get that version or these four are going to get this version and he decides and he chooses when. He's like, okay, these are going to update on Friday at six o'clock after everyone goes home. They're not going to update a Wednesday at noon when they're in the middle of a test. So he's not relying on us. He's actually controlling everything by himself and he's able to control the Windows 10 updates, the Office updates, any Azure updates he's got, all from like one dashboard that he owns. And he's going to be able to see like this many machines are on O365, these many machines are, you know, running their uh, all of their data on Azure, these many machines have the latest Windows updates. He he is the lord of his rings. I think that's powerful. And he's not running around checking 30 machines now. So the management becomes much more simplified. Exactly. And it doesn't matter where those computers are matter. either, does it? So someone no, can be can traveling be in another part of the world yes. and so on. Yes. You've got a, a cloud-based That's management right. across totally the board. Totally cloud-based management. Yeah, yeah. And it makes life so much easier for people who just don't want to deal with technology on a day-to-day. Right? They don't have someone coming to their office like, it's time for your upgrade. They're like, no. Because before that used to mean my machine's going to be down for a day. Mm. But... Whether it's upper management that you're trying to like, you know, hustle stuff out of, or it's some school district who really does not want to have deal with downtime, telling them that the control is in your hands is really powerful versus we will tell you when it's time. No, the control is in your hands. Your IT knowledge worker, your IT worker is incredibly knowledgeable in which security updates are needed for you or which um, things on the roadmap you actually need in your business, right? Do you need AdGuard because you have a lot of like random stuff being installed? Then maybe it's time to get Fall Creators Update where AdGuard is built into Edge, right? Is that not an issue for your company? Then you don't need AdGuard. I think everyone needs it because everyone installs random things off the internet. You know, like um, Brad Smith was saying, in every company, there's one person who clicks on everything. Right. No matter where it is, someone does that. So I actually think every company needs like better security and better protection. But it puts it into the choice of that person that an organization trusts a lot with their tech, their IT worker who they hired for this job. So that's the heart and soul of Microsoft 365 is to make the lives of these people better. Meanwhile, removing like this threat of tech being something you need to think about from people who really just want to do their job. Mm. The, the, those security elements mm-hmm. with um, with the four creators update, right. um, you know, whether people are uh, uh, taking that as just as Windows 10 mm-hmm. on its own or as part of uh, Microsoft 365. Right. Um, there's quite a lot of new things that are coming through there, right, mm-hmm. that yeah. are helping to reduce those security risks. Yes, I think every week we have uh, major features coming out that are helping protect us from security, like all of the Windows Defender updates. I think every we rolled out like three huge batches of them this time. Now, for some people, Windows Defender may not you know, have that greater name because they think mm-hmm, of sort of the right. early Windows yeah. Defender and, oh, this is Microsoft's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some free antivirus yes. tool. But that Windows Defender name now, you know, is covering quite a you know, broad amount of capability That's right. there. Tell us about, you know, what are the things that sort of stand out? I would talk about it like Windows Defender is the bodyguard of your machine. You always want to have it on because it will keep weird and strange things from happening to you. And some of the things we've 
implemented this release is really removing the need for you to keep checking on it. Right before everyone's like, I'm going to go check on my Windows Defender settings. I said, guys, you don't need to do that, actually. So this time it's when you need to know something, it will tell you. When you don't need to know something, there's nothing to know. So I think that's been actually the most powerful thing. I, I think one of the best security things we've done, honestly, is AdGuard. It's been years in the making. Mm. I, I remember when the Hyper-V team and the Edge team were working on it like in 2014, right? It's been years in the making to get it right without it being intrusive, but while being highly, highly effective. So what does it do? Okay, so how AdGuard works is, um, oh my gosh, I'm like caught in this thing. So how, how this works is that when you, Say there's a link somewhere. Well, it arrives in an email, which it always does. It's like, hey, click on this. You click on the link, it will pop up in an edge window, and it'll say, hey, hold up, we're gonna open this in a virtualized tab. So this is not a tab on your browser, on your machine, it's in the cloud, so that if there's a virus in there, it's not. It's actually spinning up a VM in the background in this edge tab browser. It's kind of magical and amazing, it's hard. Um, I know this a lot because I was there throughout this process to get it right. Before it used to be intrusive, and then it used to be like, is it catching everything? But now we think we've got it in a place. People really like it. The feedback on it is phenomenal. But anyway, so if this link is you know, some sort of a phishing site, it will be caught by this virtualized browser tab, not on your machine. And it, it's not going to be able to hijack your stuff, your data. So incredibly powerful. I encourage everyone to use Edge because it will keep you safe. I've completely switched Edge now because of AdGuard because all the stuff going on with WannaCry and stuff, I'm like, mm -mm. I'm not playing around with Chrome anymore, right? I've used Chrome before, but right now I'm 100% converted over to Edge. Okay. Oh, well, that's, uh, I guess that's, that's quite a compelling case for Edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's really good for people who, just don't know that much about cybersecurity, which is, by the way, most of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's mm -hmm. fair to fair to say. Um, anything else around Microsoft three six five? That yeah, because so because it's it's not just Windows and Office, mm -mm. is it? There's, there's, another, there's, a, there's another mm -hmm. piece in there. Yeah, it's all of our cloud offerings. Of course, the cloud is at the center of everything we do. Mm. Recently, I heard from some insiders that. Their upper, upper, upper management said, no cloud in our company. We're not going to store anything in the cloud. I said, of course, that gives me great anxiety because <laughs> why, <laughs> right? That is actually what it's for. Storing things on-prem, it's not 2001. Like, why are you doing this? Like, Palm Pilots are gone. Why are you storing things on-prem? So I don't think people quite understand that just because things are in the cloud, does not mean they're not yours, right? It's this whole issue, and if you store things on-prem and something happens, the data loss you have suffered or the security breach that you're gonna have will be so devastating that you won't even know how to recover, right? And is it worth risking your entire business because you're paranoid about the cloud, right? Everyone stores everything in the cloud. Why would you not do that? But we had insiders come by our booths today and says, our government says, no way are you storing anything in the cloud ever. We said, why? How can we, how can we help you solve this problem? We know you can never change anyone's mind, but how can we help them change their own mind? How can give them enough information they realize, okay, it's not the scariest thing in the world. So that's a thing we're battling right now as a company, as an industry actually, hmm. trying to kind of convert these old school thinkings from, oh no, we can't store anything in the cloud, it must be in a you know 
machine under my desk to saying like, nope, I want my data to be secure. And the best way to do that is to store it in a reliable cloud, not one I made myself also, right? Like the whole situation of last week. Um, so Microsoft 365, though, is really interesting to me personally because it's the first time we're telling Windows insiders that, hey, are you guys also Office insiders and are you Azure users? Are, do you use Intune and all of these things? Because if you do, tell us and we can start looking at your feedback separately. Because if you are doing like either Microsoft 365 or like the old version, which is the DIY version, right, which knowledge workers or information workers would have to do, then let's look at all of your feedback because it is all our products and figure out how we can address them together. Because what doesn't help is for you know, someone to say, hey, it'd be cool if Windows deployments worked really well with like this kind of dashboard. And we made the Windows deployment part better, but not the dashboard part, which belongs to Intune, right? That would be kind of a half-baked feature that we make. So now we're trying to actually look at all of their feedback together. It, we just started like last week. Mm. In my session, I told everybody like, if you're a Windows insider, definitely go join the Office Insider program. Just go do it because then we can start to parse out your feedback in a more controlled way. And that raises the signal on issues because it's just a smaller subset of people. Mm. So big call to action, go do that. You're going to actually get your feedback addressed way sooner. That's good. Well, there's a huge amount of technical depth for those that are interested in terms of the online sessions and right. so on um, from the Ignite 2017. Yeah. So uh, for those that are wanting to actually drill down and work out, well, what's the nitty gritty on all of these capabilities? Mm -hmm. They can go and find you know, find that there, right? Yeah. There's lots of Absolutely. sessions. So, yeah. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank, thank you for, you for me letting me yap on about my favorite topics <laughs> for a long fun. time. It's been yeah, fun. that's good. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Donna. Bye. Well, thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, that's it for this episode. Now you can find uh, find me online, paulspain.com. Uh, you can certainly message me directly there as well, or feel free to reach out and connect with me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and thanks very much to our ongoing sponsor, Process Street. Uh, they deliver really an amazing platform and, and it's been a huge help to my team uh, over the last uh, 12 or, or so months uh, since we've used it to help with our processes right across our business, but particularly in delivering a real consistency uh, in our IT services uh, without, I guess, lots of uh, lots of paperwork that, that spread across a range of different uh, platforms. Uh, we find it just fantastic putting together checklists and in Process Street and being able to uh, monitor exactly what's happening right across our team and uh, yeah, provide some uh, some great consistency as new people come on board. And as we we do, uh, you know, those sort of regular uh, projects that maybe just come up every every few months. Uh, but it's really important that we don't forget what we learned from the previous ones. So yeah, very very handy. All right, well that's it from me. Uh, we will catch you again with the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.